I don't know if any of you have travel plans this afternoon, but I would advise you today at 2 o'clock p.m. to stay out of Lawrence, Kansas. That is, unless you are a KU fan. Fans will be gathering to welcome and celebrate KU's fourth NCAA title for men's basketball. Lifelong fans, Fairweather fans, current students and alumni will excitedly anticipate greeting the basketball team. You can expect there will be some cheering and whatever else comes with celebrating a national championship. It will be a joyous celebration for those in Lawrence, Kansas. If you had the opportunity to talk with Pastor Osier when he was here on Wednesday, it's probably pretty likely that he brought up that game. He was pretty excited about it, being a KU fan. He mentioned to me that he wanted to drive through Lawrence, Kansas on his way to Springfield just, just to see the place, to see the mecca of his basketball team. I checked in with him and he didn't make it there. He'll survive. Don't feel too bad for him. But Adam himself was a college basketball player. He's currently the dean of a college. And I would guess that if he were to go through Lawrence, Kansas, that there wouldn't be this big hoopla and procession welcoming Adam Osier to the town to celebrate his accomplishments. Why? Because no one in Lawrence really cares about his accomplishments. They have no ties to him. We had a pretty full sanctuary on Wednesday evening as we had the, hosted the Free Lutheran Bible College Choir. There were people from our communities who came, people from Fairbury, one from Omaha, and one even as far as Thief River Falls, Minnesota, which is pert near Canada, uh, not too far away. It's still snowing up there, for reference. But the guy from Omaha and the couple from Thief River came to see family members that they had in the choir. They knew who was coming, so they made a point to be here at this time to be ready to see them as they came. Back to KU, though. You can imagine the excitement that's going to be happening today and, and the joy that these basketball players and fans have. They won a big tournament. But it's just basketball. It's just basketball. Now imagine how much more exciting it would be not just to welcome a team of champions, but to welcome a king. And not just any king, but the king of kings, the king who was promised to bring victory and peace, the king who was coming to set you free. I would venture to guess we'd be a little more animated than we are right now. We'd be a little more animated than however animated and excited the crowd in Lawrence will be this afternoon. That's what our text this morning is about. Rejoicing in the arrival of the King of Kings. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 10. And if you're able, again, I'll invite you to stand as I read God's Word, out of respect for Him. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10, again, reading in Jesus' name. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Father God, these are your words and your word is true. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth. 
Lord, we pray that you would do what you desire to do in our hearts and in our lives through your word here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Zechariah was written between 520 B.C. and 470 B.C. And if you were here in Sunday school, you might still remember that timeline that we just went over. But if not, that's, that's okay too. But this is a point of reference, 520 and 470. The second part of Zechariah, starting in chapter 9, was written around 480 B.C. And the big picture of salvation history, and the big picture of what God is doing in world history, he had promised to give a king, someone from the line of David, some 500 years beforehand. For 500 years, they are waiting for this promised king to come. They are waiting for the root of Jesse who would come and rule like David. Time came and time went, and the promised king never seemed to come. The country ended up splitting. The northern kingdom was taken off into Assyria and conquered. The southern kingdom fell to Babylon, and they too were conquered. It looked like all was lost. There was no throne in Jerusalem anymore. It looked as though they would never again have their own king. And then, out of the blue, the Jews are permitted to go back to their land. They're permitted to go back and they are told, go back and rebuild your temple, rebuild your walls, and we will pay for it. The Persian Empire would pay for it. And so they did. Some of them did. They went back to rebuild their temple, to rebuild their homes and their wall, and to rebuild their very own lives. Though it wasn't without its challenges and opposition, the temple was built, as were the walls of Jerusalem, and worship was restored. The temple was uh, rededicated again in 517 B.C. So time reference, the book is written at 520, right before the dedication of the temple, to a little bit after the dedication of the temple. They're living in their land again. The temple has been rededicated. They are worshiping the Lord once more. Things are looking up for the Jews. Think of how you would receive this message. If you were an exiled people, if you were a people who had to rebuild their city from the rubble back up, a people who had been promised a prince who would bring peace, who were promised that the mighty God would come and sit on your throne, now everything is prepared. Everything is ready to go. The temple is rebuilt. The throne is re-established here. All that's missing is the king, the king who has promised to come. And then the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah again, and he prophesies this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here is the promise that you have been waiting for. Your king is coming. And your king isn't going to be like those putzes that I talked about in Sunday school this morning in Israel. But your king is going to be just and he is going to be righteous. He's going to be endowed with salvation. He will bring peace. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't forgotten his promises, nor has he abandoned them, but he is coming to rule and he is coming to save. And this is the message that comes again to God's people. It's a message that's going to inspire and encourage you, right? It ought to. It's a message of hope. 
You can almost feel the emotions building up within your bones as it seems as though the stars are aligning and everything is about to happen. Notice how this king would be entering in. He's riding in on a donkey, not a horse, like one would expect for a mighty warrior king, but a donkey, humble and gentle. Not a horse like one would, not a, uh, the king can ride in peacefully because of what is said in verse 8. So if you have your Bibles open, look back before the verse, to the verse right before our text, where the Lord says this, I will camp around my house because of an army, because of him who passes by and returns, and no oppressor will pass over them anymore. For now I have seen with my eyes. To a people who had been conquered, to a people who had been exiled, this message, this promise comes. God says, I will look over you. You will be oppressed no more. The Lord promised to watch over his people. He would be their shield and their fortress. Earlier in the book, the Lord promises vengeance against those who had touched the apple of his eye. Who was the apple of his eye? He identifies my People. You don't mess with God's people. The Lord doesn't take that too kindly or lightly. The next verse in verse 10 builds off of this idea that this king will have accomplished peace when he comes. He says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off. And he will speak peace to the nations, and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of of the earth. This is a picture here of a king who is not just going to be ruling over this tiny little section of land. No, this is a king who will be ruling over all land, over the entire earth. One who will unite all people. One who will be the king of kings and lord of lords who will rule and reign and bring peace. Zechariah mentions the chariot, the horse, and the bow of war. Each of these are allusions to war, to military strength. The chariots could move quickly. They offer the charioteer some protection as they could hide behind the horse and behind their chariot from whatever arrows and spears might come. You just stick your sword out and boom, do whatever you need to do. Horses also provided military advantage to the soldier. You can move a whole lot faster on a horse, if you know how to ride one, than someone running. The bow could also strike from a distance. A well-equipped army would have had all three. And this coming king says that he's going to remove Israel's reliance on all of these things. I don't know, uh, I don't know how any of you would feel if the next time our, our country put its budget together, they said, you know what, I don't think we need to worry about any defense spending anymore. We've got enough, so we'll just, we'll just use this money for other things. Is anyone really going to be in favor of that? No, I don't think so. Because we understand that in this world where there is evil and it is real, a military is kind of a necessity, right? It is. But here the Lord is saying, I'm going to bring a peace where there will be no more need for horses and chariots and bows of war. In fact, I'm going to take them away because you're not going to need them anymore. The coming king would remove Israel's reliance upon these things. Their hope and their trust was never to be in their military might, but to be in the Lord. 
And when this promised king comes, he says here in this text, there'll be no more need for any of these things. And why? Because as the verse continues, he says, he will speak peace to the nations and he will rule the earth in its entirety. It's something to look forward to, isn't it? It is. And it was. The prophecy would only become more precious and and be grasped even harder by faith and anticipated as Alexander the Great would march into Jerusalem and say, hey, you guys are all Greeks now. And people would say, "Uh, no, we're we're not Greeks. And they were conquered yet again. It would be more precious to them as when the Greeks were conquered, the Romans came in and said, hey, now you guys are all Romans. And they say, no, that's not who we are. They were still a conquered people. It seemed as though these Israelites would never see the fulfillment of this prophecy that was promised to them, as though they would never have peace and freedom. And then we get to our gospel reading for today in Matthew chapter 21. It's the last Sunday that the incarnate Christ walks on the earth in his humble, lowly state before his feet are pierced, and that's not for beauty purposes. Jesus sends two of his disciples on ahead of him to find a colt, and he tells them exactly where they will find it. And they say, hey, if Jesus says, if, if anyone gives you a hard time, just say the Lord has need of it, and they'll just let you have it. So basically, Jesus is telling his disciples, go hijack this young donkey and bring it back for me, and everything's going to be okay. This passage, though, isn't giving us permission to carjack someone's vehicle or to take to wrestle someone's cattle. That's not what's being talked about here. But Jesus explains why this is happening in the very next verse. Verses 4 through 5, he says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet that we just read in Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Picture yourself here in the first century A.D. Maybe picture yourself as one of these disciples whom Jesus has given this task to. You're sent to go pick up this donkey. Do you realize what it is that you are participating in? You think it's just a, a normal, everyday errand. Just go and get a, a donkey for, for your friend, for your rabbi, for your teacher to ride into the town with. And even if you miss the significance of this event, there were plenty of people who did not miss the significance. Jesus doesn't walk into an abandoned city here. No, he is greeted by crowds. He's greeted by crowds who are spreading their coats and spreading palm branches on the road, preparing the way for the king who is coming, who brings peace. The crowds recognize the king is here, and there he is on this donkey. He is coming. Peace is coming. Our king is coming. The crowd is in a frenzy, and everyone is happy and excited. Everyone except for one group of people. The religious rulers aren't too keen on what's going on. The religious leaders had had their beef with Jesus for a few years now. They don't believe that he could really be the Messiah. They, in fact, call him an imposter. Or worse than that, they say he is a blasphemer claiming to be God himself. Now what would Caesar think if he heard that there was another king coming into town, challenging his rule over these people? They would lose whatever sense of freedom and autonomy they had. 
And so from their mind, he had to be silenced. And the events of Holy Week are put into motion here as Jesus enters in on this donkey. Jesus, however, continues on his path, undistracted by the excited crowd singing his praises and undeterred from the path he knows he must take. He knows what he is doing. Previously, he had set his sights on Jerusalem. He knows what the end goal is. There is only one path that would possibly bring peace. The plan that was set before the foundation of the world. The plan of the Father for all of God's fullness to dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace, how is this peace secured? Through the blood of his cross. Paul writes in Colossians 1. Jesus knows this. He knows what's coming. Yet he still sits on that donkey, steers this donkey to go straight into Jerusalem. He knows what's coming in the back of his mind as he hears all of the crowd saying, Hosanna, son of David, save us. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. He would fulfill everything the prophet Isaiah foretold about the suffering servant. He was about to suffer a grueling death for a people who today are excited, but in the next few days would abandon him. And it was the only way that he could procure the peace prophesied by Zechariah, the the peace promised by the Lord himself. In a sense, this peace is what Jesus' incarnation is all about. From the very beginning, from the announcement at his birth by the angels, glory to God in the highest. And what does the angel say? And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. In the very beginning, Christ comes and takes on flesh to bring peace. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he told his disciples in the upper room, and John, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. He came to give peace. This peace looks different than the way that the world would define and describe peace. It was different than the peace that the crowds were hoping for and expecting as they lined the roads in Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday. Nonetheless, Christ came to bring peace. He came to be both just and the justifier, to become the atoning sacrifice for sin. So that having been justified by faith, that you and I, all of his disciples, everyone who believes in Christ would have peace with God. This is the peace that Christ came to accomplish as he first enters into Jerusalem on this donkey. He came to accomplish peace with God for us. As Christ enters Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, the focus of accomplishing peace, knowing exactly what it meant that he must do, exactly what he must do if he was to be the Prince of Peace. He came and accomplished peace through his blood on the cross, reconciling the worlds to himself. However, though we do get to live in this wonderful peace that the death and resurrection of Christ brings, We still live in a world tarnished by sin. And this passage in Zechariah proclaims that Jesus is going to be king over the entire earth. We turn on the news and we see there is no peace in this earth, is there? 
There is a certain peace that Christ came and brought with his first coming. But this peace that we're looking for, that we often look for, seems to be merely a mirage. And so we still need militaries. We still need horses and chariots and bows to use the language here of Zechariah. Because this peace seems to be impossible. And yet this peace is still promised for us here in this passage. And on this earth it's true, it is impossible from a worldly standpoint. So long as there are still men and women with wicked hearts intent on serving themselves above all else. Evil is still alive and well in this world. But it's already been dealt the fatal blow. We have the promise of God that there will no longer be a curse and that Jerusalem will dwell in security, as Zechariah 14.11 says. We experience that security now in part by faith, in that sense that our souls are secured by Christ, in Christ by Christ, that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and that there is no one who can snatch us from out of the Father's hands. And so we are safe and secure in the Father's hands. And yet we have the promise of God that Christ will once again come. Once all the bondservants of God have been sealed, when Christ once again revisits the earth and enters into Jerusalem, no longer riding a donkey with humility and gentleness, but bursting forth on the scene on a mighty horse, a white horse, with his robes dipped in blood from the vengeance that he is coming to bring, from the justice that he will establish finally and ultimately here on this earth. This morning we remember and we celebrate that first triumphal entry into Jerusalem when Jesus enters in humbly and on a donkey quietly. And the people saw their Messiah and they shouted, Hosanna, Son of David, save us. It was a joyful time, a victory celebration that Christ has come to establish peace. And the peace that he came to establish wasn't necessarily the peace that they were looking for. But he did establish peace through his death and resurrection. As we are united with Christ by faith and he has saved us. The war for our souls is finished. The outcome is already settled. Christ has conquered all. However, the battle continues to rage on here in this earth for now. But there is coming another triumphal entry where the bridegroom will come to gather his bride to himself. And we will all together shout with joy and rejoice in this coming King where we will all kneel and together and with one voice recognize Christ is Lord. And for the rest of the world, for those who continue to live not by faith, but by sight and by denial, Christ will come again in judgment. In the meantime, he longs to be gracious and to save. And for proof, we need to look no further than his first triumphal entry. And for the events that happened here in this holy week where Christ dies to himself, literally shedding his blood and dying for you. This is the extent to which God was willing to go to save you and to save all of the world. We see Christ's commitment to save as he was crucified for you and for others and for the world. As we look at this fallen world in which we live, we await his final triumph. 
And let our cry be no different from those on that first Palm Sunday as we see who our Savior is. And as we anticipate his coming again, we cry out with one voice, Hosanna, Lord, save us. As we see our sin, as we see our failures, as we see the evil that seems to be running rampant in this world, we say, Hosanna, Lord, save us. And we look again to Christ, the one who came first on the donkey, the one who is coming again on a horse. And look to the one who was pierced for our transgressions and who has died and rose again to reconcile us to the Father. Praise be to God. Amen. And let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for its truth. Lord, we thank you for the excitement and the joy that your word can give to us. Your word brings us. Lord, as we see these promises, as we hear these promises, as we trust these promises, Lord, as we look back to the prophet Zechariah and to the people whom he told these promises to, as they had to wait 500 years for this promise to come true. But Lord, you were faithful and you did bring this promise about. Christ, you fulfilled this prophecy as you entered Jerusalem on the donkey. But God, as we look back at your word, we see that it hasn't fully been fulfilled. And so we trust that you will ultimately bring it to completion. As we look around this world and we see the evil, Lord, we see the wars. Father, we see our sin as well. Help us to trust in your promises, your promises of grace and forgiveness and mercy. Lord, your promise of justice and vengeance too, that you will come again. Lord, that justice will be dealt. We pray, Lord, that you would bring justice. We pray that you would bring mercy and grace as well. In the meantime, for this time where you are gracious and patient, Lord, you are long-suffering. You desire for all people to be saved. Father, we pray that you would help us to see our sin and come to you to confess that sin and to see that Christ, you took that penalty for us, that we might be forgiven. Father, we pray that this message would be given to a lost and dying world today, a world without any hope. Lord, a world that's desperately looking for peace. Help them to find the peace that you have promised. Lord, the peace that you have procured and the peace that you will come to bring and establish here on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.